Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff. And I'm grateful that you're here today, ready to listen to episode 217 with Dr. Amy Botzel. Now, the goal of these interviews is to learn from the world's best leaders, consultants, athletes, coaches, all about the power of mindset to help us be high performers in our field or our sport. And today's episode, I interview Amy about the power of mindfulness. Now, Amy Botzel is the clinical associate professor and director of the sports psychology specialization at Boston University. She's a certified mental performance consultant with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, and she's also a former U.S. national and Olympic rower. She was on the America's sailing team and was also a head varsity lightweight rowing coach at Harvard University. Now, Amy is the author of three books, The Power of Mindfulness, Mindfulness and Performance, and her first book, Living in the Sweet Spot, Preparing for Performance in Sport and in Life. And today's episode, we talk about mindfulness. She's done quite a bit of research on the power of mindfulness, has developed a mindfulness protocol that consultants could use in their work. Amy also received her master's and doctorate from Boston University. In this interview, Amy and I talk specifically about her experience as an Olympic and elite athlete. We talk about her definition of mindfulness, the benefits of practicing mindfulness, why self-compassion is an essential part of mindfulness, she describes her research on mindfulness and her mindfulness protocol, and then how we can each practice mindfulness. Two of my favorite quotes from this interview was when she talked about how we could use mental skills from a mindful approach, so listen for that. And then she quotes Peter Haberall and says, attention is the psychological currency of performance, and we can put our attention where we want it. I've been working on having Amy on the podcast for about a year now, so I know that you're going to love this one. So without further ado, let's bring on Amy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Amy Botzel. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Such an honor. Very cool to be with you. Thank you. So Amy, I know, you know most of your research has, has been in mindfulness and you've been studying in, in the field of sports psychology for some time. Give us a little bit about your insight, like just give us a little bit more about what you're passionate about and, and tell us what you're doing right now. <laughs> what I'm passionate about? <laughs> Let's see. You know, I, I, the thing I'm probably most interested in that probably came from my own experience as an athlete is helping um, high-level performance deal with anxiety and mm. be able to optimize performance. It's something that our textbooks are full of theories about how performance is related to anxiety or energy. Um, but in my from my experience as an applied practitioner, I found very little, the few answers and how to really help somebody with that. Mm. You know, um, as an athlete myself, if someone said to me, just, you know, just relax and don't worry about it. Just get your head back in the game. You know, I would, it would have been like someone saying to me, I don't understand you and I have no way to help you and just be quiet, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you're lo you, and you, you have to be alone and miserable inside this experience. And so I found that I kept, I gravitated those kind of athletes to me in my private practice. And, I found that, um, that, that I had to kind of expand out and look for solutions to help with, help with this. And I stumbled into mindfulness and um, 
this this idea of being able to be aware of what you're experiencing and not having to change it. And the other thing I'm really interested in is this idea of bringing, um, you know, helping people tolerate those feelings that arise through really self-compassion and kindness to self to allow them to get themselves, you know, focused back in and have the courage to get back in and into the game. So kind of the big picture is I'm really passionate about helping people with getting over the anxiety and fear and dread that can just destroy performance after all those years of practice, you know? Absolutely. And you yeah. were an Olympic rower. Yeah. Um, you were also on the sailing team, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I was on the U.S. Um, rowing team for a few years, the Olympic team in 1992. And then in 1995, I was part of the all-women's America's Cup sailing team out in San Diego. Outstanding. So how do you think your experience as a high-level athlete, how do you think that informs, you know, your study of mindfulness or what you do in general? Oh, that's a great question. It influences me a lot because I think that, you know, you can be lulled into thinking when people are great athletes um, or super achievers that, that they, you know, have it together or, you know, they, they can handle things. And I think that, you know, I, I won more um, national championships and I can, I actually need to go back and count how many times, you know, how many of those medals I've won. But, um, you know, I was someone who suffered a lot and, I, and no one knew, you know? And so I think that I know that performance anxiety is uh, like the most prevalent challenging issue that we, that athletes face. And yet, um, and, and we need answers for that. So that, that is what's driven me. Wow. Can you give us an example of either yourself as a high level athlete when you experienced anxiety when you didn't really have any answers or? Yeah, show me. I'm thinking of, I, I worked with one um, woman who was, uh, you know, she'd won every foot race in high school and had won every race in college. And she started running pro and all of a sudden, you know, she started um, losing uh, races and she had never experienced, you know, fear or anxiety before. She And she had no skills to deal with it, hmm. had incredible sense of self-loathing about it, you know, and hmm. sleepless nights and feeling, you know, like totally worthless. And, you know, she'd only lost like two races. <laughs> you know? She wasn't that far behind, you know, and so um, helping someone like that learn to normalize these feelings that arise and then um, giving her some strategies of learning how to tolerate the feelings. So, you know, we can avoid the feelings and shut down and quit. That's easy. But to stay with it um, and to um, stay engaged, it takes courage and it takes um, skills to um, tolerate those feelings and to get your, and be able to get your focus back in, in the game. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, tell us a little bit about why you decided to study sports psychology in general to start with. <laughs> That's a great question. So I, you know, I was like just an athlete most of my twenties and, um, and I was you know, on the U.S. team and training for that for five years post-college and then worked a little bit and then went on to the America's Cup. And I found myself at um, like 29 years old, <laughs> you know, and I remember after the, after the Olympics, I kind of went into like a slight probably post-Olympic depression. Like, what do you do? Mm. With and nothing's quite as meaningful or worthwhile as, mm. as, um, as that kind of intense commitment and passion. And um, I remember during the America's Cup sailing team thinking to myself, like, I must have some goal. I must have some thing to work toward when I finish this. If I don't, I don't, I don't want to spin out again. And so I remember that year, like, I would like talk to, heli you know, America's Cup. It's very, you know, uh, helicopter pilots and TV personalities and, you know, um, cameramen. And, um, you know, I, I would talk to everyone about their job because I was just, I needed to find something, <laughs> something to try. Okay. And, um, 
and and we had we had one sports psychologist and it was it was it didn't go well let's just say it like that and i thought to myself i don't want to do that but then um in the spring we had terry orlick came aboard oh wow and you know he he, he would fly in for ottawa i mean it was far away to san diego he'd fly in for a couple of days here and there and he had a very powerful impact in my experience where you know I had like a lot of things about how I thought my teammates should train and how they should be in irritation and frustration with with that and it was very distracting to my own performance and he just gave me a few um cues or he I think we just talked privately maybe twice and it totally changed my experience I went from being kind of like a difficult irritating teammate to being a really great performer and um, part of part wow. of the team in a positive way and it was because of his intervention and so after the America's Cup, he said, hey, why don't you come to Ottawa and come to this conference on performance excellence? And that was in 1995. And so at the end of the America's Cup, I got in my little Honda and I drove by myself from San Diego, San Diego to uh, Ottawa. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember sitting with um, Ken Rabiza and, and him and some other, other people. And I ended up going to school in Boston. But um, I remember in that crowd thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these are my people. You know, these are my right. people. This is where I want to be. This wow. is where I want to be. So, and then, you know, since then I've just been in, involved in the field. That is cool that you got introduced yep. <laughs> from, you know, to the field from Terry Orlick, a legend, yep. Ken Revisa, yep. another et legend, yep. and you're sitting at this conference, right? Yep. Haven't yep. studied it yet, but among the greats. How cool yeah, is among that? Among the greats. And they had me in as a, you know, I was like on a panel as an Olympic athlete and professional athlete. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So tell us specifically, because now you're a professor there at Boston University, tell us why, why did you, like, why mindfulness and why, what, what has your journey been to study that specifically? Yeah, you, yeah good questions. Um, so thank you for that. I guess it's twofold. One was, I was really searching for answers outside of the field to help my clients with performance anxiety. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, having like using, you know, visualization scripts or self-talk cues or you know any of these things can be quite quite helpful but there were some group of athletes I was not able to help as much as I would have wanted put it like that so that was kind of happening I was really kind of exploring outside the field and at the same time um, this is 10 years ago my sister got um, this is kind of sad got diagnosed with um, breast cancer and she had only 18 months to live and and she said to me you know why don't you come do this mindfulness training with me this six or eight week program. And I, at the time I thought mindfulness, I have no idea what that is, but for mm -hmm. myself, I'll do anything, you know, I'll go sit with you and close. I, I didn't know what it was. And hmm. I became quite, you know, I'm so grateful to her um, to introduce me to that. I became very interested in it for myself personally. And, and then I started, I started realizing that a lot of the work I was doing with the athletes who I didn't really know what to do with, you know, I was kind of using more of my instincts. It was becoming like a, almost like a mindfulness approach organically. You know, because if we can't change how things are, then let's just like accept how things are and work with it the best that we can, you know? So that's really, that's where it started. And I have to do say, it's 10 years later, my sister just rode a hundred mile race on a bike. Like she, she's amazing. So she's, she's, you know, she's still uh, very much here. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I thought you yeah. were going to tell me the no, opposite. So no, isn't that amazing? So she wants yes. to live. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm guessing mindfulness helped her just cope with that, right? And the symptoms. Yeah. I mean, she's a she's cancer been a meditator for 20 years and a yoga practitioner and eats clean and lives joyfully. And yeah, she definitely is an outlier in that for sure. Wow. 
Yeah. So you got introduced to, to mindfulness through your sister. And, you know, when you kind of say that there's a group of clients that you, you didn't know, you, like they weren't, this wasn't helping like the self-talk and imagery, yeah. and the traditional kind of mental skills. What, can you give us a sense of like who these types of clients were? Yeah, they, they tended to be, you know, Olympic hopefuls, you know, individual um, athletes, you know, like whether elite or uh, professional who had performance anxiety. You know, okay. people who would, um, you know, like they would, they would, and I, and I had a number of um, clients with like the stuff would somatize, like it would be so bad that they were just like their bodies would like not function, you know, and so trying to figure out these dramatic cases. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So how would you as a researcher and a writer within the field of mindfulness, how would you define what mindfulness is? So you know, it's interesting. I think that we, we put more on mindfulness than it really is. I mean, mindfulness is kind of simply awareness of what's arising in the present moment with a particular quality of awareness, with, meaning being aware of what's arising with some kind of, at best, curiosity and interest and at worst, tolerance, but still not avoiding the truth of what's arising. Got it. Um, I, and in 2016, I just, I just pulled this up before we talked. Um, the definition I have in the mindfulness and performance book is a quality of awareness that objectifies the contents of experience internally and externally. So what's happening inside ourselves and outside ourselves, promoting greater tolerance, interest, and clarity toward that content. So an academic way of saying, you know, being aware and being able to be, stay, willing to stay present to what's really arising. Okay, so staying present in what is arising. Yes. So I think the way that we should kind of talk about this is like, what studies have you done that would show that mindfulness is something we should practice, right? Yeah. But then I'd love to talk more about like, how do we even practice this? So I know that you just wrote a book, Power of Mindfulness, which yeah. describes the studies that you've done. So tell us a little bit about this book and, and um, the studies that you've conducted that you highlight in the book. Great. So yeah, the book is The Power of Mindfulness, Mindful Meditation Training for Sport. And this book came out of, I'd say about eight years ago, I think it was the first study we did um, in collaboration with Josh Summers, who's been my colleague in this area of mindfulness and performance. And um, it, it, the first study is with, with a soccer team and he, he, he started the first intervention. It was like a basic mindfulness intervention, you know, six one-hour sessions, basically introducing what mindfulness is and, and making, um, making it so it, the idea of meditation, formal meditation, how that translated to sport practice and sport performance. Since that first study, I've added this idea of self-compassion, like how to offer yourself kindness when you're really suffering so not so like you, um, and not to like be kind to yourself so you like go easy on yourself, but kind to yourself so you can like stay, so you don't just give up. So you can give yourself what you need so you can stay engaged in what you're doing. And so over the last six years, I think we've run this, myself and other colleagues around the, around the country have run this, maybe about 10 athletic teams. And we've done, we've done pre-post um, measures with it, both interviewing the athletes and coaches have done their inter- intervention as well and pre-post measures quantitatively. And we're, and we're getting consistently that the intervention increases mindfulness, increases self-compassion, increases dist- distress tolerance. To me, that gives us some data on, um... and, and the other thing that I've done in the studies is I have, um, we, we've always interviewed the participants 
after the intervention, like, you know, how has this been helpful to you? And, and usually it might take a few months for, for um, that's interesting. When we run the study over six weeks in, in this really tight study, sometimes it, the data doesn't show in terms of quantitative changes, but when we run the study over three months, we consistently get changes in all those measures I just mentioned. Okay, got it. So tell us a little bit more about like the, the so you said improves mindfulness and decreases stress or increases stress tolerance, right? Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about the, the sessions and what those might sure. be composed of, just so we can maybe get ideas of sure. how do we actually practice this? So how, how we set it up, so every session, um, it goes like in 30 minute cycles. And so there's about 10 minutes of education about, so say the first session we talk about just basically what is mindfulness and, and offer examples of athletes that are mindful and mindless and how that can impact performance. So through the entire program, we're making connections to how everything we're talking about and all the practices we're offering, how that relates to their particular sport, you know? So then there'd be 10 minutes, say, of a mindful meditation breathing practice. And we'd actually do the meditation with the group. And then there, there'd be about 10 minutes of Q&A about their experience, their comments, their frustrations, like what worked, you know, and then how this could be applied to practice or performance that week. And that was, that'd be the rhythm of things. And there'd be, um, you know, learning how to be a, say a meditation, learning how to be aware of thoughts and things that are arising and learning how to label them to create some distance between the thought and feeling and the person's experience. So they'd have a little more, um, control over how they wanted to respond instead of just automatically reacting. So there's about, there's 12 different exercises or meditation practices we use throughout the program. So again, the rhythm is, you know, a little bit of talk about the concept, practice, and then discussion of what they actually went through. And then each week they're encouraged to practice um, 10, 10 to 20 minutes a day on their own. Hmm, outstanding. So if people wanted to look for this and get more information about it, you tell them the power of mindfulness would be uh, the best yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for that. So in the power of mindfulness, um, I, I got it, I would present this at conferences and I would get a lot of people interested in the, yeah. in the, um, what I was doing and they say, please send the protocol. And I felt really uncomfortable sending out like a five page protocol or eight page protocol for a mindfulness, mindfulness intervention because it's not a standard sports psychology intervention. And, you know, unless you've had many years of mindfulness meditation practice and have some experience in the field of sports psychology, I feel like unless you have more, much more in-depth explanation, it'd be, it'd be very difficult to teach it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I wrote, it's like a 50-page protocol, I think, um, and about 200 pages. And the, it's like I've written as like a trade book to explain, like, what is mindfulness? What is self-compassion? Um, how do these relate to performance? Here are examples. You know, what's meditation? How do you meditate? What's, what's a natural way to meditate? You know, natural process of meditation. What are some myths about meditation? So... My goal, I plan that book is when you read through that 200 pages, anyone who's just like brand new to it, have like a good basic understanding of what is mindfulness, what is mindfulness meditation training, and how can this help with performance, and, and how to teach it, yeah, and how to teach it. Outstanding. And yeah. what would you see, what would you tell people in terms of maybe even if it's clients that you work with, like at least one thing I see is that especially high level athletes, I think pro athletes specifically think that, man, if I beat myself up more, that means I'm going to play better, right? <laughs> like yeah. if I'm harder on myself, because I have really high standards and, yeah. you know, and, and, and sometimes maybe especially male athletes might say, well, I don't, I, what is this self-compassion? Yeah. You know, Tell us about, yeah, like, what do you, why do you think we should practice self-compassion more and how is it linked to our performance? I, I love that question. And I want to tell you that in those studies we had, it was, it was more males and females and there was no difference in terms of impact of increase of self-compassion 
okay. or self-reports of the value of self-compassion by the athletes versus the female athletes. So that's, that's my, own, my, own, my own work. The thing is, it's not that we need to be kind to ourselves every time we're suffering, you know? I'm talking about, I guess it's like a tool that you can use when it's necessary. So if being hard on yourself helps and motivates you, good. You know, if it helps you stay focused and be more intense, good. If being harsh on yourself debilitates you and shuts you down and you tend to quit, then it's time to consider maybe a different way of dealing with of how you react, you know? And I think what a lot of guys would do is they would say, I don't need self-compassion, but they would, they, they might just shut down and quit. And if you, in my opinion, to, to stay engaged when you get, you're getting past or you're, you're losing or you're disappointed in a teammate, how they're playing to stay engaged and really still fully give it. Sometimes you need um, a little bit, you need to be able to offer yourself maybe what you need in that moment to keep going, you know? Absolutely. And Absolutely. so I think it's like, to me, it's like, sport, sport appropriate, context specific uh, kindness to self, you know? So it might just be bringing an image to mind when you stayed fighting no matter what, or it could be a, a, it could be a keyword. So I, what I like to do is use this mental skills, but from a mindfulness and self-compassion approach, you know? So you, you can use a, a, verbal, a verbal cue or an image that reminds you of something that is soothing. It could be like a, I'll give you an example. I work at the, um, a fencer, a young fencer. She was one of the top fencers in the country. And she was unbelievable. But there'd be times when, particularly when her coach could sit with her, you know, and, and um, be on the strip next to her, be, on the, be next to her on the strip. But there was times when her coach would go coach other people. And, there was, and she found that there were some performances where she was feeling like very uncertain about the outcome, that she would get um, kind of like waves of lack of self-confidence and fear. And she would, um, it would, it would impact her ability to fence well. And so when we talked about what's that like to feel that, you know, and what's, what's going on. I asked her, you know, what would you might most need to hear in that moment that would help you kind of get back in and get back in it, you know, move back on the strip and give it your all. And um, she talked about, she just wished her coach was there. I said, okay, well, if your coach can't be there, can you, can you imagine what your coach might look like being there next to you? And he's, she's like, yeah. And can you imagine uh, what he might say to you? And she said, yeah, he'd say, you got a girl. And I said, though, how would he say it to you? And he said, well, okay. she, he would be like, you got a girl. I said, okay. So in that moment, like, let's do the next time you go out, you know, the competition across the country, um, when your coach isn't there and you're feeling that feeling, imagine, imagine him there and imagine him saying those words to you in that tone, you know? And that is an act of self-compassion by that athlete for herself because she's knowing what she needs to hear. She's she knowing what she needs at that moment to, to give herself the courage to get back and fight, get back in and, and um, perform. Mm. Amy, how would you tell us to use uh, mental skills from a mindful approach? Like that's one of the things I just heard you say. Tell us about yeah. how as a practitioner we can do that because I think that's maybe the first time people have ever heard it stated that way. Yeah, it's a great question. So I, how I see it is that there's, a, there's a big difference between formal meditation practice and taking a mindfulness approach to the field. Hmm. So when I think about formal meditation practice, which I have myself in my, my own daily practice, you know, there's lots of ways to meditate, but I'm going to talk from a mindful meditation approach, which is maybe the most common way these days. So you, you have a, some type of um, focus, right? And so the, the point of the meditation is, well, the point is to develop your ability to pay attention and to have poise. Um, but that's, that's, we'll talk about that in a minute. But so you're meditating, 
say on your breath. And then what happens is everyone, this is the meditation cycle. Your mind will become distracted, right? And that's okay until you notice your mind has wandered. And then in that moment, what do you do? You, you, could, you could relax or you could just um, make the choice to bring your attention back to the point of meditation, which is the breathing. There's no mental cues needed there. There's no visual, nothing's needed to do there except notice and bring your awareness back to where you've chosen to place your attention. So that's great. And you think, so how does this translate to the field? And this is where the mental skills come in. So let's say I'm a tennis player and um, I want to have a mindfulness. I'm going to be a mindful. I'm going to bring mindfulness into the tennis court to help me with performance. I'm a, te a tennis player. I'm a little hot-headed. Someone calls the ball out when I know it's in. I feel outraged. I feel, you know, typically my typical reaction is take my racket and smash it. You know, I'm just so mad. And being mindful, this is like, this is how it goes. So like playing tennis is the focus on the breath. Mind wandering and meditation is like the urge to throw the racket because you're full of anger. When you be, then when you notice there's an awareness, oh, awareness of mind wandering, a notice awareness of um, wanting to throw the racket. At that point, you got to bring your attention back to playing tennis like you bring your attention back to the breath. How do you do that? Well, if you're an athlete who has like an anger problem, sometimes you just can't just bring your attention back. You know, you might need a little prompting or help. And that might be when you have like a pre-planned verbal cue, like, you know, staying, staying focused matters, or it could be any kind of cue that might help that person regain their focus back on the court, just next play or the ball or see the ball or whatever that verbal cue might be. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's in the service of bringing their attention back to performance, which is part of the mindfulness process. I wish I had a chalk. I wish I had a chalkboard for you for this one, but yeah. <laughs> well, I follow what you're saying. I like the way that you're explaining it. So I think that's a great contribution for us just to help understand it that way. That like you know that we can use mental skills from a mindful approach. So, so because this is the thing, I guess, and more simple way of saying is like, so when you instead of just being reactive, like I'm mad, I throw the racket in that moment of of choice when you're aware of like, oh, I have a choice in how I'm going to respond here. In that moment of choice, you can use visualization, a, men um, a mental cue, um, a breath, arousal regulation exercise to help you so you can make the choice that aligns with your values and what you want and the behavior you want as opposed to just reacting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how would you tell us, right, as practitioners or as athletes, coaches, business leaders, CEOs, whoever's listening, how would you tell us, you know, that we could practice mindfulness more often? What do you, what do you uh, think? Sir? Like, how do, how do we get tangible yeah. with that? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, I, I, I personally believe deeply in a mindfulness practice for myself. I know that um, I'm much more, over the years, I've become much more calm, less reactive, more um, maybe understanding of myself and other people through this practice. So hmm. it's almost like when you meditate every day, it does change your brain. And Sarah Lazar's research with brain plasticity, we know that over time with practice, your brain starts to automatically respond in a different way, you know, but everyone doesn't want to meditate. And I respect that. And everyone, it might not be what they resonate with. And so I think sometimes just understanding, it's just educational understanding that when you have emotional reactions or thought patterns, if you understand you don't have to believe them, you don't have to do what they say or react the way the urge is to react, that you have a choice to notice what's arising, 
and you have a choice to respond the way you want to. To me, that is a mindful approach. Meditation helps with that. Walking meditation helps with that. If you're a runner, just maybe taking a portion of your run to um, choose to not actively engage in thinking and allow, allow thoughts to come and go without actively engaging in them can be a more like um, uh, informal way of practice, practicing mindfulness. So I think that you can formally practice it through meditation, sitting, through body scans, through walking meditation, through mindfully washing your dishes to mindfully eating. I mean, mindful eating is, um, if you ever tried it, <laughs> just to be present to what you're really experiencing, like what you're tasting and what you're smelling and how your body really feels and the body signals that say that's enough after like the 10th bite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it can be shocking. So there's lots of places to practice it if, if you want to. Mm, excellent. Good, good. And, and the power, I think what I heard you just say is that you felt more calm more understanding and what are the other benefits that you see like in your clients or other people who practice mindfulness? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits. And, um, but I think that for sport, why some of the things why it's so important. Number one is when you practice mindfulness meditation practice, it's a way of having more control over your attention, where you place your attention. I know Peter Hobrell from USOC will say, Attention is a psychological currency of performance. So I, I, that is such a powerful idea. So the idea, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what uninvited thoughts are coming in and out of your head. Like I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not, you know, all these things. Thank you for sharing, but you still can put your attention on what you're doing. And I think that we sell the myth that you have to be confident. You have to feel a certain way or think a certain way to have a great performance. I don't believe that's true. I believe that you have to place your attention where it needs to go moment by moment. And you're lucky if it feels great and you're just human if it doesn't sometimes, you know? Um, so mindfulness training can help you with strengthening your ability to pay attention to what you choose to pay attention to. Number one. Number two, meditation practice or mindful approach helps you with poise. Meaning it doesn't really matter what you feel, anger, frustration, joy, irritation, boredom, no matter what you're feeling, you still can choose to behave in the way you choose to behave, you know? And so meditation practice can help with that. And the third thing I think can help with a lot is learning how to notice like things are constantly changing. You meditate on physical sensation, you're gonna notice kind of constant change. You know, there's things constantly changing. And with meditation practice and that kind of deep understanding, you notice that when you go out in the world, you know, the team that you played a year ago is not the same team. The teammate you're going up against is not the same teammate. You know, it's like, if you're willing to be present in what's really happening, you have much more degrees of freedom in terms of performance. So th those are the things meditation can do very specifically for performers. Uh, you know, and then generally, you know, it, it, it really does help with, um, with less reactivity. You're not thrown on by your emotions so much and you can find yourself, at least I do, much calmer, much calmer. So tell us, Amy, what your meditation practice is. Yeah, yeah tell us about that. Sure. So um, my meditation practice is, I would say um, on average five days a week and length of practice is probably on average um, 20 minutes a day. And it's varied over the years. I've been practicing now for about 10 years and it varies, but it's sometimes much longer practice and sometimes, you know, a few weeks with no practice. So that's, that's just the truth. I like, and it, I, don't, I mean, I will share with you with what I do, but what's most important with anyone trying meditation 
is to experiment until you find a practice in a way that works for you. Because if it works for you and you sort of look forward to it the next day, then it's something that will serve you. If it's something you're suffering through and you're doing it because you think you should, but you hate it, probably a good idea to try something else. Because it's not about suffering. It's not, about, you know, we're not monks, you know, unless you, and we're not monks, but so you're trying to find something that would allow you to practice consistently. And for me, I, I love just a um, sitting practice with a mindfulness meditation approach, which, and I like open awareness practice where I allow anything to arise to arise in my mind and in my emotions and my body. And um, I just notice it until things quiet down and then it's quiet. That's what I do. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so what would you tell, like, I'm just thinking about a client that you might work with or people who are listening who say, okay, man, okay, this sounds really good. What would you tell us in terms of, maybe we can do a part A, part B question, but how would you tell us to start? Yeah. um, I mean, this is great. I've been teaching a class for the last eight years where one of the, uh, it's a, it's a course where it's a six week intensive. And one of the assignments is to practice meditation every day. Uh, for six weeks and that's um and i've learned a lot about teaching people about meditation the most important thing is just committing to sitting down and trying every day the second thing and there's wonderful now there's all kinds of headspace there's all kinds of wonderful applications now that you can you can use and another thing that's really important that i've learned is that people think that when you meditate you sit down your mind's supposed to be totally blank and you're supposed to be totally comfortable mm-hmm. and that is just a terrible myth because the truth is that we all as human beings our minds are active and what you'll notice when you sit down and meditate is your mind will be active and that's normal and it's not bad it's just part of the meditation process so so there's kind of active mind and so you just let those thoughts and feelings arise and you put your attention where you choose to put it just like in sport practice there's lots of worries about what the coach thinks and teammates say and what the boyfriend's saying, what is for dinner and how your body feels. There's all these kind of thoughts that are distracting. But, but then there's paying attention to what you're doing, like passing the ball or putting the ball in the hoop or, you know, playing defense, whatever it is. So it's very normal that the mind um, is active. And it's also very mind, normal the mind wanders. And so you kind of notice, oh, my gosh, my mind's wandering. You think, oh, I'm so bad at this. I'll never be a good meditator. The truth is everybody's mind wanders. I bet you even the Dalai Lama's mind wanders and you notice it. And what do you do with it? You just bring your attention back to your breath or back to whatever the point of meditation is. And that entire process, all of that is meditating. Meditating is not just when your mind is quiet. Meditating is when you have the intention to have your attention on the breath. Meditating is mind wandering. Meditation is noticing your mind wandering. And meditation is deciding to bring your attention back. And meditation Mm -hmm. is having your attention on the point of whatever you're meditating on. That is all meditating. When my students realize that, it's like everyone can take a big, it's like, it's like expecting the athlete to be in flow all the time. Right. Impossible. It's not realistic. You, right. you can, it's not realistic. You know, there's times when you feel off and you don't feel good and you feel stiff and you feel irritated and you feel distracted. And then it's choosing to bring yourself back to doing the best you can to be engaged moment to moment and stretch yourself. Right. That's, that's the best we can do. And so, but there's a lot to be learned in the meditation process. I'm cycle. Like when your mind wanders and you notice it and you feel irritation, you bring your attention back. That's just like the basketball player who misses his third shot, feels angry and notices and makes the choice to bring his attention back to basketball instead of throwing a fit. It's the same thing. Absolutely. So do you think when people are getting started, like an app like Headspace is helpful, you know, to to get them so they know what to do? Absolutely. So I think going like that, 
I think even like the Deepak Chopra Oprah meditation, those yeah, are good. They're, they're wonderful. Anything that's neat you to try. So I think often guided meditation, if you can go to a local, if you have one, a local meditation center, a Zen center, insight meditation center um, to get some instruction. But absolutely, I think that the, I mean, I use, I think it's called insight meditation timer. I think that's what it's called. I use that. It's really nice. It just keeps track of the minutes I meditate every day and has different, you know, um, guided meditations if you want, which I don't use, but they're there and there's sounds that you can listen to as background if you need to, you know? So I think just use whatever you can use that is compelling to you. And then there's different types of practice, mindful meditation practice, also closely aligned loving kindness meditation can be really good too. Like meta, it's called meta. To me, it doesn't matter what you practice, except if you can, whatever you choose, try to stick with it for a few weeks at a time and don't jump around daily, you know, the best you can. So you can kind of just, I think getting familiar with maybe one type at a time can be quite helpful. Okay. And what if people are like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the meditation part, but I want to work to practice, you know, mindfulness throughout right? my day. What yeah. would you tell us in terms of like how to get started with that? Um, you know, it's interesting. You know what? You might've heard Ellen Langer, a social psychologist at Harvard. She doesn't, she's been a mindfulness person for the last 40 years and she doesn't advocate meditation. So not okay. requisite. I think that you can choose different, if it was me, I would say just choose some aspect of your daily life where you're going to intend to be mindful to practice it. So you can practice what it's like to choose to pay attention to something, have your mind wander, notice it, deal with the frustration of not being good at it, <laughs> bring your attention back. Because that cycle is just what you need to be doing on the court or in performance, you know. So I would say try to take a shower mindfully, try to eat mindfully, try to walk from the, you know, from your house to your car mindfully. Any of it can be quite helpful. And do you find kind of the same impact when your clients, you know, choose to be mindful over meditation or what do you see in terms of the outcomes? You know, it's really interesting. And it's like maybe, you know, most of my clients don't meditate. Okay. They don't and so that's fine with me. So I would say that as a practitioner, my approach is very much a mindful, self-compassion approach. And when I think of interventions, when I work with my clients, it's, that is, the, is like the framework. Um, I don't even have to tell them that, you know, but that's the type of interventions that I would offer, learning how to be aware of thoughts and things that are rising before performance, during performance, after that are problematic, um, how you want to work with them, making a plan to work with them that would help them learn how to tolerate the feelings and stay focused on what they choose to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and Amy, what have you seen in terms of the age? You know, I'm just thinking about how maybe some young kids yeah. might blow up, <laughs> like you were talking about a tennis player, right? Yeah. Might blow up on, on the court or, you know, maybe young kids, at least what I see is like, they, they do have high school youth, they have high levels of anxiety, you know? So what do you, you know, when you're thinking about, meditation or mindfulness, whichever, you know, maybe we can talk about both of them. What do you see in terms of the age range that this helps? You know, the answer is we don't know. Research, we don't know enough of research yet to answer that question. Certainly at the college level and up, they can meditate, you know, if they choose to. You know, anecdotally, I know my kids are in, you know, I actually won't talk about it. I think it probably depends on how it's taught. Yeah. And, and it has to be developmentally appropriate. That's what I would say. Absolutely. And you'd have to apply with kids. You need to have it so it's structured in and brief, you know. So if I was to work with young kids, I would probably want to do more than five minutes, you know. For sure. 
Well, Amy, is there anything that we have missed, you know, that when you think about what's important to your work and, you know, what you have discovered within your research or in your practice, anything that you would add to what we've talked about? Hmm. I think that, um, that a lot of people do suffer in sport with the pressure. Yes. If we, that um, it's, it's trickling down. It's not just the college athlete or the high school athlete. And as you said, um, Cinder, it's also trickling down to youth sport. And everyone can suffer from it. It's not just the kids in the edge. It, it can be the most dominant, best athletes as well, you know. And so I think that in, the more we can normalize that the anxiety exists and we, everyone has it, it's okay. Or many athletes, so, you know, have it. And that not try to change it, but to try to work with it and to um, give yourself what you need in those moments so you can have the courage to keep going. That message would be, I would love to see that message spread. Mm, absolutely. And, so, and, and to use the mental skills to support that too. And you know, let's bring it together. We don't have to have an either or conversation. You can have a mindful self-compassion approach using mental skills. Yeah. I really like that you said that because I feel like many times that they're either or. It's like you either practice mindfulness or you do mental skills, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a really important perspective to just to bring into the field. And yeah. you know, as, as people are listening, Amy, I know you have three books. One, Living the Sweet Spot, which is actually how I first got introduced to your work. And then- oh. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Very good book. Um, mindfulness and performance is your second one. And then your yes. recent one, the power of mindfulness. So tell us a little bit about each of those three books and, and the, the audience for each of those. So as we're thinking about yeah. how we want to learn more about this, we can be thinking about who we are and which one of these would be best for us. Oh, it's so nice. So living in the sweet spot um, was a book that to me is intersection of sport psychology and positive psychology. You know, how do you, how do you optimize performance through, through being able to also be in a place where you actually want to choose and be there. And I, I see that as like a, it's a really useful trade book for, um, I would say, collegiate athletes up. Um, the Power of Mindfulness is a compilation of 23 invited chapters from um, experts from around the world on mindfulness and performance from different perspectives. And so you've got like, you know, Gardner and Moore and um, Peter Habrell and um, there's a whole, um, Gygus, there's, um, there's a whole range of, excellent authors that are giving their best there. So, but it's, it's definitely like a graduate level or someone who is uh, more of like a, mm, interested in the intellectual details of things. And my most recent book, The Power of Mindfulness is for people who want to learn how to bring mindfulness meditation practices and what you can benefit from that into the sporting world and how to do it. It's really a how-to book. It was written in collaboration with a outstanding mindfulness meditation teacher who, you know, he's, gone off to ashrams for three months silent retreats and he's really the real deal and together we created this um, to try to help um, athletes efficiently learn these ideas so they can bring it to sport and performance love it love it love it well if people want to reach out to you amy how might they do do so either like on social media or any other way that you'd like us to connect oh, with you? so sweet just uh, just the old email baltzell at bu.edu that's the best way Okay, excellent. And what kind of final advice would you have for us that are listening? So um, yeah. if, anything, you know, that you would end with? Yeah, and with, if, if you even have a little inkling of interest, try the meditation. And when you meditate and your mind wanders and you think you're bad at it, just know that you're not, that <laughs> it's just the natural, normal part of the meditation process um, cycle. And that having the courage to sit down and, 
Oh, the last thing is, you know, we also get a lot of wisdom from mind wandering. When your mind, you're meditating, your mind's wandering, the content of that can actually be quite informative in terms of, it gives you uh, insight into maybe the choice you've been making and how you've been living your life. And, and maybe some insight into how you, what you might need to do to make some changes, to make improvements. So it's not called insight meditation for nothing. You can certainly get insights from those thoughts that arise. So it's not just wasteful to have that mind wandering occur. It can actually be quite, quite helpful. Outstanding, Amy. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. You impacted thousands of people today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Cinder. Take care. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Sindra's free weekly videos, check out drsindra.com.